Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning. My name's Josh. I'm one of the non-staff pastors here at Candeo. And if I haven't met you yet, uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about my family and I. I've been married to my high school sweetheart now for 16 years. We celebrated our anniversary in September of this, this year. And uh, we, we started dating in high school 22 years ago next month. So that's almost hard to believe, right? 22 years. Uh, but I can't imagine my life without her. She is absolutely incredible. And if you know my wife, you know that to be true about her. Um, my prayer for my girls would be that they would grow up to be just like her. She is absolutely incredible. And we do have three girls, um, and that means there's a lot of dancing in our house. They, They dance everywhere for every reason, sometimes for no reason at all. And uh, we, love, we love it, though. We love the dancing. Isabella is our oldest. She's 11 years old for two more days. She's got a birthday coming up here on Tuesday. Uh, don't want to forget that. And she's into reading and writing, and she loves art and music. And then we've got Gabriella. Gabby, Gabby is uh, nine years old. She's in the fourth grade. And Gabby loves just being together. She loves hanging out with her friends and family. If we can all be in the same room together... Gabby will be happy. We can play a game together. Gabby will be happy. And then we've got the baby, Joviel. She's three years old. Jovi would say, I'm not a baby. She doesn't want to be called a baby anymore. She says she's not a baby, but she's still a baby. And Jovi just wants to be like her sister. She wants to do whatever her sisters are doing. Um, and we have been a part of the Candeo family now for about four years. Um, we, I work right here in the Cedar Valley. Um, love leading worship here with you guys. And uh, we're so happy to, to serve with you here. And I'm excited to be able to open God's word with you this morning. So if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter for the next two weeks. So this week and next week. And I just encourage you to take some time over this week to read through this book. Uh, you could read it every day. It's, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to get through all five chapters. It's a quick read, and I would encourage you to get familiar with the book of 1 Peter. And by way of introduction now, so have you ever been away from home somewhere, be gone for the day, gone for a long weekend, on a business trip, wherever, but the whole time, from the moment you left and the whole time you were there, you just couldn't wait to get back home, you know what I mean? You know, you could be having a great time with great people and great places, but you'd rather be home. What, what is it about home that we love so much? You know, you can completely let your hair down at home, right? You can be yourself at home. You can wear whatever you want at home, right? You laugh because you know what I'm talking about. Home's safe. You know, home's kind of an escape from every, everything. Home, they say home is where the heart is, right? Or maybe you've heard this, a house is built from bricks and beams, but a home is made from hopes and dreams. That's cute. It's like a Hallmark card, right? Somebody else said home is a shelter from storms, all sorts of storms. Oh, and let's not forget... Uh, uh, the great philosopher Dorothy Gale, remember Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz? What'd she say? There's no place like home, right? 
In our house, it, it doesn't matter if we would drive into town, which is about two miles away from our house, if, if we were to go into mail a letter and then come back, we get on the porch, somebody would say, maybe even me, oh, it just feels so good to be home, right? It doesn't matter how long you've been gone or where you've been, it just always feels right when you arrive at home. And I think the Apostle Peter would want to remind us as Christians living in the 21st century today of a few similar things that we're currently not home. That as Christians, we're only en route to our home. That there may be some turbulence and bumps and trials during our journey, but we can be confident knowing that God intends to make sure that you and I make it home safely. We're looking at an absolutely uh, remarkable portion of Scripture today. It's some of the most amazing truths in all of the Bible concerning your salvation. And so it's all packed into these seven verses. Let's look at it together. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, it's important to have a little background information here on the book of 1 Peter. Peter is writing from Rome in the first century to Christians that had been scattered all throughout Asia Minor. So if you were to look at your map today, that would be modern-day Turkey. We don't see Asia Minor on there now, but Turkey. And they're in all these cities, and they're scattered. They're experiencing difficulty and trials, suffering in their lives. They were living in towns and cities unknown to them. They were foreigners. And it was all because they had put their faith in Jesus. And it was unpopular to be a Christian. And Peter's writing to remind them how to live, how to think, and how to act, how to suffer well as Christians, while on their journey from here to eternity. He's reminding them that they're foreigners when it comes to living on this earth, that their real home is in heaven. Have you ever traveled internationally? I've traveled internationally, and it can be a lot to take in, especially the first time, right? The one thing I remember uh, the first time I traveled was the motorcycles. We got off the airport, got in the traffic, bumper to bumper, and there's dozens of motorcycles they're just weaving in and out of the traffic. Like they're in the front of the cars, they're in the sides of the cars, almost taking our side mirror off. They're up on the sidewalk. They're everywhere. Dozens of them. And I looked at my wife and I said, did you just see that? Can they do that? Like, are they supposed to be driving like that? Because it seems like they shouldn't be doing that. Or how about the signs? You know, there's all the signs everywhere. The signs are supposed to be there to help you, right? But you can't read them. They don't help you. 
that you don't have a clue where you're supposed to be going because you can't read the signs. Or the geography, your geography is all messed up. You don't know where things are at in relation to other things, right? Or the currency. I, I went to buy a bag of groceries once and the bill rang up to be like 123,000 of these currency units. I'm thinking, that can't be right. This is just a, a bag of groceries. And I'm trying to do the conversion math in my head, and I can't. I just want to get out of line. I can't talk to the guy. So you just pay it because you want to get out, right? At some point, you just might say, I want to go home. When you're a foreigner somewhere, the language, the places, the currency, the way of doing things is strange to you. And that's how our lives are to be lived on this earth as Christians, it should feel a little strange to us. The way we do things should be different from the culture around us. We're not from here. Our hearts beat to a different drum. Sometimes we forget that God's prepared something and somewhere absolutely incredible for us. We get a little distracted. This letter was written to strengthen and to give us hope while on our journey through a hopeless world. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want to look at three reasons why we can have confident hope in our future during our temporary stay on earth. Number one, we can be confident knowing that God is merciful. We can be confident knowing that God is merciful. Look at verse three. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. We can see that God's doing whatever he's doing because of his great mercy, according to his abundant mercy. It's only because God is merciful that you and I didn't get what we deserved. We got new life. We got a living hope instead. We got new birth. Psalm 103 says that his mercy is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Have you ever thought about that? How high are the heavens above the earth? There's some people I've talked to that have said that they think they've outrun the mercy of God, that they think they've gotten outside of the mercy of God, somehow gotten beyond his mercy. They've exhausted it. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Or maybe you have been that person. Scientists estimate that, you know, the, the heavens above the earth. You know, we have the observable universe at like 13 billion light years, something like that. But when you take all these calculations into account, they estimate the so-called edge of the universe. You ready for this? 46.1 billion light years. They don't know. They're, they're guessing. They have no idea. How can you calculate that? 46.1 billion light years. All I know is that's pretty far. And God says his mercy is as high as the heavens are above the earth. His mercy never runs out. And it hasn't run out on you. You can't earn his mercy. You can't achieve it. Notice that there's no doing on our part. He gave us new birth into this living hope because of his great mercy. Titus 3, 4, 5, and 7 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to 
his mercy so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. What does that mean? It means that God had a plan, that he has a plan, and that he's sticking to the plan. God has had a plan, he has a plan, and he's sticking to the plan. God has a plan for your life, a plan to display his mercy, a plan that says you can start over with a new life in Christ, a plan that says I will fill you with my spirit to guide, protect, lead you all the way home, and I'll give you an inheritance that lasts forever. We didn't deserve it, but that's the mercy of God. Look in uh, in verse 3 as well, also notice that God proved his great mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see that? Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is alive because the one who gives the hope is alive. If Jesus isn't alive, then we're no different than any other cult out there. Paul said it like this to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, he said, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who've fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul said that. All the other religions of the world, all the things of this world can only offer you dead saviors and empty hope. But the God of the Bible, in his great mercy, offers us a living savior and an empty tomb. Our confidence doesn't rest on our ability to perform well enough. Our confidence is assured to us based on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. We can be confident in this life because we know that our God is merciful. Secondly, we can be confident knowing that God cannot fail. We can be confident knowing that God cannot fail. On our journey from here to heaven, his power cannot and will not fail you. Look at verses 4 and 5. And into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. This is awesome. Peter says that Christians have an inheritance, and it's being kept in heaven for you, and you're being guarded by God's power. First of all, how do you get an inheritance? You know, he's talking about an inheritance here. How do you get an inheritance? Somebody has to die, right? Somebody has to die to get an inheritance. A few years ago, my parents came by our house to drop off an envelope. And as they were explaining what was in the the envelope, they said something like this. Now, we just wanted you to have a copy of our will so that you know who gets what and where it should all go just in case something happens. That's a little ominous, right? Like, what's going to happen? Are you, are you trying to tell me something here? Like, I don't want whatever's going to happen to happen because I know what that means. You know, this is the kind of inheritance that we don't ever want to get because somebody you love has to die in order to get it. And even when you do get an inheritance on this earth, everything in it dies, right? It all fades. It all perishes. It all is fleeting. 
You can get it one day and be gone like that the next, but it's not like that with your heavenly inheritance, not at all. Jesus died and you got everything tax-free. The government won't touch any, any bit of this inheritance and it's being safely kept for you in heaven. This inheritance cannot fail. Look how Peter describes it. He says that it's imperishable. That means it's not going anywhere. Unlike the things of this earth, your heavenly inheritance cannot perish. It cannot be corrupted. This is hard for us to grasp because we don't really have a concept, or a category for this, right? Uh, everything we know on this earth expires. Given enough time, it goes bad. You know, we've all had that bottle of salad dressing, right? We, we had it. It was three years old. I can't believe we ate that. It was so gross. Uh, secondly, he says it's undefiled. What does that mean? It means it's pure. It contains only good, nothing bad. It can't be tainted in any way. No thief can break into heaven and steal your inheritance. It can't be hacked. No virus can penetrate this inheritance. It's undefiled. And he says it's unfading. It cannot diminish with time. A living hope is a hope that can never leave you. It maintains its brilliance forever. You can count on it that this great inheritance is going to be there when you get there. Now, Peter also says that you're being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation. God is committed to your salvation. God is committed to your salvation. Have you ever thought about that? He's committed to you, to your salvation. His power will sustain you. He's given you his Holy Spirit who will never leave you. How good of a job do you think that God could do at guarding you? How good, how good of a job do you think that you could do at guarding you? Because the type of language that Peter's using here is absolutely incredible. It's military defense type language. It's as if heaven is in a position of defense, like garrisoned around you and around your inheritance. The armies of heaven are guarding you with God's defense system. That's pretty awesome. When my wife and I go out to eat, there's, there's one thing that almost always happens. We get seated, we get situated, and she says she's going to find the restroom. And the thing she says to me right before she leaves the table is, don't let anyone take my purse. Just like that. Like, don't let anyone take my purse. Like, I've been dining out with her for 22 years. Never once have I had the purse stolen on my watch. Not once. But she still says that to me. Now, I can only come to the conclusion that she thinks the possibility still exists that I might fail at protecting her purse. You know, that if somebody from the, t the next table were to dive into the booth while I'm sitting there, that I might not be able to stop them. God cannot fail at guarding you. It's impossible. It's the power of God that's guarded you until today. It's the power of God that's guarding you today. And it's the power of God that will guard you all the way to the end. God is our strength, and he's going to make sure that you make it home safely. Don't you love the confidence of not having confidence in yourself but in God? We can be confident in knowing that God cannot fail. 
Number three, we can be confident knowing that God is the one preparing us. God is the one preparing us. He's using the trials of this life to form you into his image. Look at verses six and seven. Peter says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we've got a problem here, right? Two words that don't seem to go together. Rejoice and trials. They're even in the same sentence. It seems like they shouldn't go together, but there they are. There's certain words that when you see them together, you think, eh, they don't really go together, right? Words like political science, you know, pretty, ugly. Ever heard that one? That doesn't seem to go together. Microsoft works, things like that. But rejoice and trials, you know, can we rejoice in trials? We rejoice when our trials are over, right? But the fact that Peter would write about these two life experiences in the same breath tells us that it is possible to rejoice in a trial. We hate trials, but we should also love trials because of what they produce. So how is it that we can rejoice? Well, because trials reveal faith. And more specifically, trials reveal what kind of faith you have. Look what it says. You suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, so that the proven character of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know how a jeweler could always tell if the gold that was brought to him was real or fake? Put it in the fire. Heat it up. If you put that gold into a smelting furnace and heat it up to a smelting temperature, you can tell if it's fake or if it's real. You know how you can tell what your faith is like? Heat it up. Put it in the fire. Go through a trial. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Trials have a separating effect on the true and the fake. So trials tell us what our faith is like. Is your faith in Jesus? Or is your faith more like the spare tire on your car? That's where you go when things get bad. You, know, you never think about it until you get a flat. There's some people that I've seen go through a trial and it completely destroys them beyond repair. Their faith gets burnt up, sometimes for a lifetime. And I've seen other people go through the same trial same heat, same intensity, and they seem to come out purer, stronger, more resolute in their faith because of it. And sometimes in a trial, we'll tell ourselves things like, God must be trying to destroy my life. You know, have you ever said anything like that? Why me, God? That if, if you really cared about me, God, I wouldn't be going through this right now, right? Well, here's what's actually true. Your trial the testing of your faith doesn't mean that God's left you to die. It actually indicates God's deep interest, his concern, and his care for you and your faith. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to strengthen you and your faith. He cares. I've got a toaster at home. 
lot of people have toasters. And there's, you know, all the toasters seem to have similar settings. But there's one thing I've never understood about the toaster. You know, why is there a setting on your toaster that would allow you to burn your toast to the point where it's no longer humanly possible to consume it? You know what I'm talking about? Hard to the right, that setting? You know, there's like light brown, then there's medium, and then there's like total cremation. Why, why is that on there? Who uses that setting, right? I'm glad God doesn't have that setting on his toaster. I like what one commentator said, that if God puts you in the fire, he's got a hand on the thermostat and an eye on the clock. We can also rejoice in trials because trials don't just reveal the genuineness of our faith. They also purify and refine our faith. Peter uses the analogy of gold being refined here. I've heard it said and I've read that in ancient times, a gold refiner, in order to purify the gold, would heat up a pot of gold to a boil. It'd be molten gold. And he'd let the, the dross and the impurities boil to the top. And then he'd let it cool and then he'd scrape it off, and then he'd heat it up again, and he'd let it boil and scrape off the impurities, and he'd continue this process, heat and scrape and heat and scrape, and they say the way he knew that when the gold was pure enough was when he could lean his face over the pot of that boiling molten gold, and if he could see his reflection in the gold, he knew that it was ready. See the analogy there? We can be confident knowing that God is the one preparing us for glory. So when will our trials be over? Not in 2021. If you were banking on 2021 to end your trials, I'm sorry to burst your bubble this morning, there will be trials in 2021. Not in this lifetime will our trials be over. But God has never left us. And we can rejoice knowing that he's using the trials of this life to bring out the reflection of Jesus in you. And as I studied this passage to teach today, I was challenged by a few questions that came up in my own heart, my own mind. And I was asking God things like, is my life characterized by hope? Would the people around me that know me in my life say that I trust you, God, with my future? Do I live by faith or do I live by sight? All the things I can see around me. You know, do I surrender all to you, God, and rejoice in spite of my circumstances? Unfortunately, I think the answer to that question or those questions for me is that I tend to get distracted with the cares of this life. All too often, I see my circumstances rather than focus on God's promises. Maybe you feel that way too. But I was also encouraged, very encouraged to refocus my heart to recalibrate my, my mind, as it were, to lift my eyes above the horizon to our coming king and his coming kingdom, Jesus. That through faith in Jesus, we've been given this living hope, an indestructible inheritance that's kept in heaven for you 
that you're being guarded by his power, and we have an everlasting salvation that will never leave us. We should be some of the most hope-filled people on the planet because we know that God cannot fail. God is merciful, and he's the one preparing us for home to be with Jesus forever. Let me pray for us. God, I just, today, thank you for this unbelievable future that you've given us. And I join with Peter in saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, hallelujah to your name. Worthy be your name for what you've done. All our hope is in you. In a world that can sometimes feel like it's spiraling out of control. God, in the midst of our uncertainty, our perplexity, our pain, our trials, God, would our lives be marked by hope because of this great future? In Jesus Christ, we have such an anchor, such a hopeful future. And God, though we haven't seen you yet, we love you. Though we haven't seen you yet, we believe in you. And we anticipate with joy, God, what Peter calls the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.